and welcome back to Youth Group Radio. We are continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John, asking the question, Who is Jesus? And today we find ourselves in a familiar story in John chapter 8. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, my Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be merciful to us today, and let your mercy flow from us to others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we approach this um, pretty well-known text with that famous line, Yet he who is without sin cast the first stone. If you go to your Bible, go to John chapter 8, there's a good chance that your Bible might have brackets around chapter 8, 1 through 11. Or, or maybe a note at the bottom of the page that says something along the lines of, the earliest manuscripts do not include this passage. So, the oldest copies of John's Gospel do not include our passage. And in fact, when you think about it, this story, it just kind of seems to come out of nowhere. If you were to take out this passage and just connect chapter 7, verse 52, to chapter 8, verse 12, the story flows reasonably well. So then why is this story in our Bibles? Well, the oldest manuscripts of John that we have, that we have available today, don't include this passage. But, the vast majority of the manuscripts, including very old ones, they do include the story, just not the very oldest ones that we have. In fact, some of the manuscripts don't even put our passage in chapter 8. They'll still have the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, but instead they, they'll they put it at the very end of John's Gospel. So some of the ancient manuscripts have it at the end of John's Gospel. And even crazier is that some manuscripts have this story in the Gospel of Luke rather than in John. 
So where does it belong? Did John write it? Did Luke write it? Did it even ever happen? It could very well be that John did not write this particular passage. But that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. When you look at the letters of the second generation of Christian leaders, we call them the early church fathers. They were the ones who were discipled by the original disciples. And when you look at their letters to each other, you will find multiple references to the story of the woman caught in adultery. One quick example, there was a guy named Papias. He's known as St. Papias of Heriopolis, and Papias was born around the year A.D. 60, and he was a student of John the Apostle. So do you get the picture? This Papias guy was a student of John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And in a letter of his, of a letter of Papias's, he references the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And he referenced it as if it was just common knowledge among all Christians. And that seems to be what this particular story is. The story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery was common knowledge for the Christians. Everyone knew it. And eventually it was recorded in the scriptures to be told again and again for thousands of years to come. Now, we don't know whether or not John wrote this story, but we can be certain that it happened and that it wasn't just added to the text hundreds of years later. At some point, whether by John or another Christian leader, this story needed to be put down on paper so that people could read it for thousands of years to come. So that they could not just think about this, so, so that they can not just read that Jesus was wise and read in theory that he was compassionate and kind and personal and life-changing, but that they could and we could read a simple yet incredible story that puts all of those truths on full display. This is a scandalous story, and there are many Christian leaders today who try to undermine it and say that it never happened. Because that would make things a lot easier for them. It would make things easier if this story never happened. People want God to be a certain way. People have Jesus all figured out in their heads. But when you stare into the eyes of the one who says, Nor do I condemn you, to the most condemnable person in the crowd, it throws the entire Jesus theory out the window that you might have had. Right? I'm far from the first person to make this observation. Um, St. Augustine, who lived during the, the 300s, one of the greatest theologians ever, actually says in one of his letters that he believes that people were literally taking this story from their manuscripts because they thought that Jesus should have dealt harsher towards the woman. Jesus becomes a little easier to grasp if we just erase this story because this lady is condemnable. This lady is guilty. And so it's just, it's too hard to deal with. Let's rip out this story. Um, but the thing is, this was a story that was never meant to be forgotten. And that's why we know it even to this day. I love that one of the most memorable lines in Christianity is from this story that survived against all odds. So let's look closely at it. 
The story starts off early in the morning, with Jesus making his way from Mount from the Mount of Olives down to the temple. He's at the temple, people gather around him, and he begins to teach them. But then his teaching is interrupted when the scribes and Pharisees bring a woman and put her in front of Jesus and in front of the crowd. This woman was caught cheating on her husband. But my question is, where is the man? It takes two to tango. Where is the man who was also caught with her? But this is where we clearly see that the religious leaders, they don't actually care for right or wrong. They don't care for justice. They're just using this woman for their own agenda. They're dragging her in front of Jesus, not for justice, but simply to use her as a trap that Jesus is going to walk right in or they hope so at least, they say, hey, this woman has been caught in adultery, and the law of Moses clearly commands us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? They can't imagine Jesus saying that she should be stoned to death. They're imagining that Jesus is going to tell the woman that her sins have been forgiven. He's been telling people that, and so... If, if they can just get Jesus to tell this woman who is clearly, obviously guilty of sin, breaking the law of Moses, if he tells her that she is forgiven of her sins, then they can condemn Jesus for teaching people to just throw the law out of the window. These religious leaders aren't just using this woman as a tool in their attack on Jesus. But in doing so, they are also enjoying their sense of moral superiority over her, as well as their sense of having put Jesus in a corner that he can't easily escape from. They have him checkmated. They're righteous. They're right. This lady's guilty and Jesus is wrong. And so what does Jesus do? He bends down and he starts to write with his finger in the ground. In the ancient world, teachers would often write or draw in the dust. For example, many of the great geometry teachers would write in the dirt to explain their equations to their students. Dirt, the ancient chalkboard. Chalkboard, the ancient dry erase board, and so on. He, he just he stoops down and he starts writing. Now, nobody knows, of course, what Jesus was writing on the ground. He could have been writing lists of other sins. He could have been writing the names of the prostitutes that the religious leaders visited last year. He could have just been doodling in the dirt. We don't know. But then he speaks up. And what he says is quite risky, to be honest. Jesus says, Let he who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Yeah, but what if someone actually has the arrogance to think, well, I guess that's me. You know, if I'm the woman, I'm like, oh, man. But instead, instead, the words of Jesus are devastating. You see, he was never trapped for one moment. Jesus hasn't said that the law of Moses was wrong. Only that, okay, if we're going to get serious about the law of Moses, we should all find ourselves guilty. And one by one, the people and the religious leaders, they get the point. And, they, and starting from the oldest ones, the crowd walks away one by one. It gets to the point to where there's only Jesus and the woman. 
Jesus then stops writing in the dust, and he stands up and asks her, Where is everyone? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she says. Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. Who is Jesus? I mean, who is this Jesus? He's not the Jesus the religious leaders thought he was. He's not the Jesus the crowds thought he was. He's not the Jesus I thought he was. He's better. He's always better. Better than I could ever wish or demand of him. This story certainly doesn't mean that adultery doesn't matter. That's not the point at all. Jesus' last words to the women are extremely important. If she has been forgiven, which Jesus doesn't say verbatim that she has been forgiven. Rather, instead, we, we see forgiveness portrayed in this tangible way. She has been rescued from imminent death. So, she has been forgiven. And so, if she has been forgiven, she must live by the forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Being forgiven doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Quite the opposite. Think about it. The very essence of forgiveness means that sin does matter. We sin, and so we need forgiveness. You see, I believe in the love of God. I believe in the love of Jesus. And I would say, I believe in the love of Jesus more than, more than a lot of Christians. And I'm not ashamed to proclaim this same love that Jesus shows to this woman in our passage. But, I will personally, I'll have people come up to me and say things like, Wow, I love what you're saying. So you're saying that God isn't mad at me and will just put up with me and tolerate my sin. And all the time, people, they hear what they want to hear. We have filters that make someone's words speak to our agendas. And I I would simply reply to these people and say, No, I don't think God is mad at you. But I am also not at all, not one second saying that he will put up with your sin. He doesn't put up with your sin. Look at the cross. Sin is serious. Look at Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Now, he will not tolerate or put up with our sins. But rather than punishing you for your sin... He defeats sin. Rather than arbitrarily punishing us for our sins, he defeats the sin and death and rescues us from our hopeless and helpless situation. Again, this story is a wonderful portrayal of all of that. Jesus takes the sin seriously, and rather than condemning the woman, he shows all of us. It shows everyone in the crowd that they're all sinners. They're all guilty. And when he says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone, think about this. He's talking about himself. There's only one person there without sin. He is the one without sin. So according to Jesus, he has every right to throw that first stone. 
He has every right to punish this guilty woman. Let he who was without sin cast the first stone. He's talking about himself. But he doesn't do it, does he? He just tells her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And whether or not this story was originally right here in the Gospel of John, in this particular spot, it is obviously intentional on why the story is placed here. You see, at the beginning of John chapter 8, the people are wanting to stone a woman to death. And if you look at the very last the very last verse of chapter 8, you will see that, that, that the chapter ends with the people wanting to stone Jesus to death. The people are wanting to punish the woman and punish, punish Jesus out of a self-righteous motive. And eventually, Jesus lets the crowds punish him. Because Jesus did not come to punish, he came to save. He came to heal the adulteress. He came to heal those who think that they must punish those below them. He came to bring a dead world to life, a dark world to light, a hateful world to love, a godless world to God. Think about this. The religious people were trying to trap God with his own law. They were trying to box God in with his own law. We think of God as being a control freak. If you follow it all to the T, then he won't be angry with you anymore. God is simply a formula, a heartless equation that you just got to really try to get correct. If you get the equation wrong, you will suffer the consequences. But God is not the law. God gave the law, and the law was not and never will be heartless. As we've talked about before, there is a heartbeat behind the law, and we see law's heartbeat loving a guilty woman in this story. The religious leaders were convinced that they had trapped Jesus because they were so confident that Jesus was not going to kill this woman, no matter how guilty. And, and they were right about that. They knew that Jesus would be compassionate to the sinner. They knew he wouldn't be violent. And yet, we live in a time when Jesus has been painted as the angry Lord who arbitrarily punishes. He was nice the first round, but round two, he's going to slaughter everybody. No. Jesus does not hide his character from us. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We must lay down our preconceived ideas about who Jesus is and simply ask, who is this Jesus? Here, in our story today, we see that he is the one who doesn't condemn the guilty. He loves her and tells her to sin no more. Yeah, but that makes us uncomfortable. He should have given her a lecture about how she is making terrible choices. He can't just say, sin no more, what if she sins? Answer me this. Have you sinned today? The answer is yes. We are no different from her. We are no different from the crowd either who suffered from the deep-rooted sin which uses God's law as a way of pretending to be better than others. Shouldn't the words of Jesus in this passage completely change the way we see and treat others? 
And even more importantly, shouldn't this passage completely change the way we see and think of God? He's better than we thought. He's more loving than we wished. He's more understanding than we could ever demand of Him. This passage should change us. Lay down your stone. Open your eyes to the thousands of stones pointed right at you. And see Jesus make all the stones disappear, telling you that he doesn't condemn you either, and telling you to go and sin no more. You see, this isn't an angry, faraway God telling you to stop sinning, you stupid idiot. No, this is a loving Savior who is trustworthy and kind, telling you to go and sin no more. You see, this woman in our passage, she met God on this day. And she was no longer controlled by shame and the fear of being a failure. She met the trustworthy, faithful Jesus who cares about her more than she ever experienced in her life. Her life will never be the same again. Go and sin no more. When you encounter Jesus, those words aren't scary anymore. They're encouraging. They're beautiful. Remember who Jesus is. Remember the one who draws in the dirt when everything seems to be going against you. Remember the one who draws in the dirt when you are about to throw a stone at someone else. Remember the one who draws in the dirt when there's no one else around. He looks at you and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be posting again next week. Be sure to check the description for any scripture references. Youth Group Radio. Peace out.